telling the banks, hey, you know, we need a million dollars for a brewery that's actually going to sell really, really cheap beer for a very, very thin profit margin against big national brands like PBR and Rainier. They kind of laughed us out of the room. Welcome to Food Marketing Nerds, your weekly serving of marketing advice and industry insights with the smartest minds in the business. Here's your host, Alex Osterley. What's up, fellow marketing nerds? Thanks for joining us for another episode and another awesome guest. On the show today, we are chatting with Jeremy Gregory, co-founder and marketing director of Montucky Cold Snacks. If you haven't already seen Montucky's distinctive beer cans on shelves, well, you probably will soon. As of February of this year, Montucky became one of the fastest growing brands in the category, second to only White Claw. As a light lager, Montucky is up against stiff competition, and yet their product continues to fly off the shelves. In today's episode, you'll hear how the right apparel strategy can transform your brand, why it pays to not take yourself too seriously, what goes into building a brand young consumers can identify with, and plenty more. Montucky's marketing vibe and brand voice are one of, if not the company's biggest strengths, and we're thrilled to introduce you to the guy behind it all. Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Nice to be here. Well, excited to have you. So tell us a little bit about yourself and the story of how Montucky came to be. I am the founder and co-owner of Montucky Cold Snacks, which is a light American-style lager based out of Montana and brewed in Wisconsin. But kind of about me and how we came to be, if we rewind, I was born in Montana. I grew up on a cattle ranch. When I graduated high school, I immediately began fighting wildland fire for the Forest Service. And I did that for 10 years. And I also went to college during that time. Long story short, when I was about 28, about year 10 of firefighting, I knew I was done with firefighting. I was trying to convince myself to continue. But for a bunch of reasons I really won't get into, I was just kind of at a spot where I needed to move on. I needed to change direction. I'd already graduated college, but I hadn't used my degree really at all. And I didn't feel like I would really be able to get a job with it. The options that it left me was more or less go back to school, which I didn't really want to do because I'd already dumped a bunch of money into school or do my own thing. And I'd had the idea for Montucky Cold Snacks since I was probably about 23. So at that time, I'd kind of had this idea in the back of my mind, more or less the entire concept outside of what it looked like. I felt like there was a market for a light American style lager. I felt like if you marketed it correctly, people would buy it. If there was a way to get it done, I could potentially do it right. So that's kind of how the very roots of it started. From there, at the time I was living in Bozeman when I was about 28. And while I'm firefighting, you fight fires in the summer and then they essentially furlough you slash lay you off for the entire winter. So in the wintertime, what I was doing was I was going to the library and I had started writing a business plan for Montucky Cold Snacks. I, I wanted to move forward on it. I wanted to try it, but you know, it was literally in its infancy. I was writing the business plan. And so my current business partner, Chad, who was a mutual friend who I'd met a couple times before, more or less pretty briefly in passing, but I, I definitely knew who Chad was. I talked to him a couple of times and Chad and I decided to kind of start talking and after a couple of meetings, I, you know, we decided to kind of do this together. So I showed him everything that I had and we kind of pooled our money together and we pooled our resources together and we split up the responsibilities, which was awesome because we both had different strengths. It kind of went from there. We launched in November of 2012. And for the first year, we were only distributed in Montana. I think it was like about a year and a half. We were only distributed in Montana. And then... Kind of funny story. There were some guys from uh, Portland 
that were coming through Montana on the way to Sturgis. But they stopped in Bozeman to gas up and they went in the gas station and they saw Montucky and they thought it was cool and they didn't know what it was. They'd never seen it before. So they bought a six pack of it, went to Sturgis, went back to Portland, but they had kind of kept a can and wound up hitting us up, I think on Instagram and just said, hey, you know, we own this group of bars out in Portland and we're doing a lager fest. So just beers that are lagers is lager specific, nothing else. And they said, would you like to come out? And my brother lived in the Portland area for about 10 years at that time. And I knew that I wanted to eventually kind of get our beer out there because I felt like it would do well in that demographic and it would do well with the population just because there's a lot of people that live there. There's nobody lives in Montana. So Montana is very difficult for the business model we're doing to just have the state sustain it by itself. So I kind of knew we needed to get out anyways. We were excited for that opportunity and we took it and essentially that opened the door to Oregon and we started distributing in Oregon that simultaneously got us signed up for Seattle because those two were like three, three and a half hours apart. You know, if you're driving, they're very close to each other. Once those two markets kind of took it on, that's when Chad and I started to really realize we were able to start paying ourselves a little bit and realize that, you know, we had something that probably was going to take off. So we started paying ourselves super basic kind of break even money, but we were able to start doing working full time on just supporting it and supporting all the different events that we wanted to do and interacting with all of our clients and all of the different bars and customers. And more or less since then, we have grown pretty quickly and at a pretty rapid pace where we'll be eight years years old in November. And I think we're in 16 states now. So in a nutshell, that's more or less the story of Montucky. I saw an article back in 2014 where you guys were super fresh into it. You were still a full-time firefighter, uh, a hotshot firefighter as they refer to you. And you were quoted as saying to sell the idea to distributors or just to sell the idea in general. You guys walked in there with paper mock-ups wrapped around a soda can. How did people respond to that? Yeah. So that's all... (laughs) That's all correct. It was hard. It was hard from the banking standpoint because there's a lot of craft breweries in Montana. Just kind of like in the West in general, they're popular out here and 80% or 90% of the hops supply in the world is grown outside of Yakima, which is just insane to me that it's that high. But, you know, then there's big wheat country in the Northwest and in Montana. So there's like a lot of inherent things that just make this area super conducive to brewing beer. And it's always been super popular in this area. So it's not like the banks hadn't heard of craft breweries before. We've had craft breweries in Montana since the mid 80s. Believe it or not, for as small and rural as the state is, you know, there's legit old school craft breweries here that have been here since almost my entire life, which is pretty crazy because I'm starting to push 40, which is also pretty crazy. <laughs> but so they were used to that. And, you know, that business model, it's, it's straightforward from their end of things because they understood how it worked. They understood the margin. They understood, you know, kind of what to look for as metrics of success and that whole financial side of it that made them comfortable with lending money. What we were doing was completely different. Basically, you had a kid that was 28 and me that walked off the fire line from fighting fire for 10 years. So I had been running chainsaws and digging dirt and talking on walkie talkies, but no industry experience at whatsoever. And telling the banks, hey, you know, we need a million dollars for a brewery that's not going to do any of that stuff. We're actually going to sell really, really cheap beer for a very, very thin profit margin against big national brands like PBR and Rainier and that sort of stuff. 
So they had never seen anything like it. So they kind of laughed us out of the room, to be completely honest with you. That's exactly what they did. Multiple banks did. And then the distributors, when we would bring in our cans, were literally just empty can beer cans that we had that we had taped a label to. And then we had like a sample of the beer in like a glass bottle. And so we'd pour the sample out and we're like, this is what the can will look like. Here's the sample. And then we had like a little presentation of why we thought it would work, right? The distributors, they were a lot more open to it, actually. And I think it was honestly out of pity. We would just kind of walk in there in the distribution world and kind of the margins and the way that they work numbers. They knew that we were just completely naked and just showing up just completely uninformed on anything. And so all the ones that we talked to were basically like, here, let us help you kind of put this together so that it makes sense. And then the next time you come in, if you don't bring it in in this particular way, we're not going to take another meeting with you. We actually had a couple of distributors say that. But I'll give them credit for saying that. They literally sat there and watched us kind of with our glued together freaking macaroni art. Instead of laughing, they're just like, you need to do this, this and this and come back and show us that. And then maybe we'll have a conversation. And a lot of them didn't take it, but all of them sat there and they were pretty professional about it. And ultimately, a couple of them wound up working with us when we reworked how we were going to go about bringing the product to market, which the banks just flat out said no. In the bank's defense, I think that was a really good move. If I had a bit of banker and somebody had walked in and told them what we told them, I would have said no too, just because there's so much there that doesn't make sense. There's so many things that didn't add up. You had two young guys that had never been really in the industry. The fifth or sixth or seventh or eighth time they said no, somewhere in there we realized we weren't going to get funded. And so that's when we were like, okay, maybe if we contract brew this out, we will be able to cut the cost that we would have otherwise incurred of retrofitting a building and filling it with staff and remodeling it and putting all the brewing equipment, hiring all that kind of things. And we'll just do one run of beer and have somebody else brew it for us and we'll see if it sells. And if it sells and it does well, then we can do another and another and another. And if it doesn't, then we're just out that money that it costs to brew that one batch of beer. It's still a lot of money, but it was a lot less than we had originally asked for. So that's how we pitched it the second time. I just cold called, well, cold internet searched a bunch of contract brewers. It took more or less an afternoon of sniffing around. But I finally figured one out in the Midwest. I called them. We started working numbers with them and we're able to kind of retrofit and retool our business plan, bring it into the banks. And the banks were comfortable with that number because Chad's parents allowed us to put a lien on their house to get the loan. So that's kind of how all that worked out. And then the banks greenlighted it. We brewed the beer and it sold. And we weren't an instant success for the first couple of years. We sold but you know, we weren't making any money. We were losing money, but we were selling enough that we did. We went through our first order and then we did a second order. And I think if we hadn't expanded out of state, I don't think I'd be sitting here today. But once we kind of were able to get outside of Montana, we were able to get enough sales to kind of get the wheels turning and actually put real money behind it. So, but yeah, it all started out with crayons and glue. You're kind of learning through experience and getting some really helpful feedback from distributors. How else did you build or learn the skills you needed to effectively market and sell the product? So from a marketing standpoint, I think we got a lot of things right up front. We knew and slash I knew that if we were going to do what we were doing and we were going to go into the space that we've went into, which is a domestic logger, we needed to have a good product. But I felt like 
the brand, the voice, the message, all the values that Chad and I wanted to support in terms of like our charity giving piece, those needed to be the forefront of our marketing. So we already had the name, but kind of everything else, we spent a lot of time working with our graphic designer on the design. And it was a really long, frustrating process to kind of get to the can that you see today and the voice and all the kind of stuff that went along with it. I knew it needed to be like a fun, light brand because I felt like that was the culture that we were embracing. And that was kind of the demographic that we were going after, you know, right out of the gates. The way that we kind of looked at it was we feel like we can sell this to college kids and to ski bombs. That's kind of who we looked at. And so we wanted that fun kind of retro vibe. We wanted that like a fun bubbly personality to go along with the brand. We wanted to build a charitable component into the brand because it was something that we had both talked about early on and just kind of said, you know, if we're going to do this, we want it to be inherently reinvesting in communities just because it's who we are and it's the right thing to do. And I think everything's kind of going that way anyways. But we wanted to just make that something that could never be erased from the company if it changed hands someday. So all of that stuff was kind of the harder process of building in. It was really about getting those pieces right because we knew that it needed to be able to grab eyes at the store with all of the different brands that are there. And then we knew that it needed to have a personality and a purpose behind it that kind of kept people coming back. And so that's kind of the piece where the charitable component comes in. We try to work with charities and get you know the word out about all the things that we do there. And then just kind of like that fun lifestyle aspect of it. We finally put a name to all of that. We just call it Snack Life. And so we're still kind of working on that. But we build all of that into all of our social media and our website and our newsletters that go out, just kind of this personality behind the brand and the outdoor lifestyle that we kind of have always embraced. But it's also become so much of it has come back from our customer base in just UGC. And there's just so many people that it's just kind of beer for kind of living in the moment and being irreverent and being silly. The character of the brand just comes through and brings that out in people. And so it's become all of these kind of different things that kind of encapsulate all of that. When it came to getting the voice and the brand into a form that you could uh, share to your team or just get it outside of your own head, what did that look like? And how do you communicate that to, to people who are working with you? It was pretty inherent just in the company. The first employee that we had outside of Chad and myself and every employee subsequently that's probably walked through the door to date and kind of dual-edged sword here, they kind of walked into this carnival because... Chad and I would just kind of sit around and Chad handled all the logistics in the early days. So he handled all the trucking and all the accounting and all the bill pays and all that kind of stuff and dealing with the banks. And I just handled all of the graphics and the voice and everything like that. But when you would come in, you know, we were just goofing off. And that kind of energy that we had just went into every single thing that we were producing in terms of the voice and, and the outward appearance and the characteristics of Montucky. And so when we kind of brought our first employee in, I don't think I really ever even sat down with her and just said like, you know, this is who we are. I just said, you can see how I've responded to comments on Instagram. You know, you can see how I kind of wrote up the story of who we are and everything had kind of little sarcastic quirks and plays on words and stuff. We've toned a bunch of that down, but I think all of those kind of things contributed to 
the culture that was built around the brand and the loose setting that we had and ultimately translated into our customers and in, into our employees to kind of keep that going. So you guys get a lot of great content from users, which a lot of it is it's both product and apparel, which you guys have awesome, really cool stylish apparel. When did you guys start integrating that into your marketing and promotions? Square One, it, it kind of goes back to all of the branding stuff that we did from Go. Chad and I, I, I still remember the conversation. We did our launch party when we first, first started out and you kind of look at all the things that you could do for a launch party. And we just kind of said, you know, let's make a bunch of really cool t-shirts that people will want to wear. And so we've looked at the apparel side of things until very recently this has changed. But honest to God, for the first six years of the business, we didn't care if we lost money on apparel. We wanted to produce high quality apparel that was fashionable and that was relevant because we felt like that was probably some of the best marketing that we could get. Uh, We said, you know, we'll sell some of this stuff online and hopefully it can kind of pay for itself. But we're not going to try to make money off this. Let's just create the coolest apparel that we can create that people will actually want to wear. And if they do and we don't make money off of it, it's a win for us from a marketing standpoint and from a branding standpoint. That's how we've kind of done everything. And there's kind of a twofold approach to that. We have pieces that are super solid that we do super well that are super traditional to our branding. And then we have pieces that seasonally we try to reinvent a little bit because we do have this core demographic of customers that we feel like is always looking for something that's really out there. So we usually try to put something out there that's really kind of loud for this really small subset of people, but we feel like those people are worth giving that sort of apparel to because they'll get the name out there, they'll do their thing. And that's honestly kind of part of who we are is a big part of our brand is that loud subset of people. So so how has your role changed through the the growth over the past couple of years? It's it's always changed a lot. Yeah, you know, we went from two and a half years ago, there was three full-time employees up to eleven full-time employees, which isn't an astronomical amount, but I was doing all of the marketing and sales and created an entire sales division. So that's somebody else's ball court now. And we're kind of in the midst of kind of... I'm still running marketing, but we're in the midst of trying to figure out kind of the next steps for marketing because I'm ready to not be dealing with that every day. It's really hard to run marketing and also just kind of deal with all of the things that kind of come with the business anymore. So I guess the short answer is the bigger you get, the more you need to delegate out. And that's a tough transition on a lot of levels when it's something that you built. It's hard to let go to some of that stuff. But it's also just kind of one of those things where it needs to happen on so many different levels. It's not even funny. And you know, the reality is, is Chad and I both need to be able to just kind of say, here's the direction we want to go and, and put it in other people's hands so we can continue to deal with the banks and kind of continue to deal with like the larger strategy pieces and have time to execute all that stuff correctly. So it's changed a lot. When I started, I was doing literally everything that you see from the marketing and sales side. And uh, Chad was doing everything on the logistics and operations side. And we're trying to hire all those positions out right now so that we can just kind of focus on the overall direction and the voice and that sort of thing. 
So what is on the horizon for Montucky? I know you're expanding into Georgia, New York. What's on the horizon? That's kind of the big one. Um, Next year, I think we're actually going to have a much simpler marketing plan. We're trying to kind of just simplify our own operations. And I, I don't think visually customers will really see anything different, but just a lot of more fluidity and streamlining within the company. So that's exciting, I think, for everybody. And, uh, you know, outside of that, the only other big thing is we are going to release a seltzer next, probably April. So that'll be coming out. That's kind of it. Well, a couple last wrap up questions that we ask each of our guests. Are there any business or marketing books that you've read that have kind of influenced how you think or approach your job? I'm currently reading the one page marketing plan because I need to write a marketing plan. So much of what we're doing is focused around branding. But I think for a lot of companies, it would be really good, including ourselves. I think there's a ton there. I'm also reading a book called The Building a Story Brand, which I just started. So I don't know how I feel on that. But kind of outside of that, not really. I went to school for marketing. So I feel like I have the basic premise in the back of my head for what works. But more what I always tried to do with marketing was just making sure that there was a reason that we were talking and there was something to be said, whether that was something as silly as like, yeah, it's just funny. We're just kind of knowing that purpose behind things. And so I always super aware of that inherently and super aware of the power of our brand, the power of our imagery, all of that kind of stuff. And most of that, I think, honestly came from Nike and just kind of watching what they've done over the years. When I was building all of this out, when I was building the imagery, I just kept thinking, honestly, of the Oregon Ducks. (laughs) So these aren't books. These are just observations that I made over years. But I loved what Nike did with the Ducks. And I don't like the Ducks. But I think... It's genius. I think it's a big brand. Obviously, it's really well established. So there's a lot to play with there. But you know, Nike's been super good about keeping things simple and being really on point. And at the same time with all of their messaging and also delivering shit that's just engaging. And they've done that for years and years and years. I think they're the best at it um, outside of maybe McDonald's, which McDonald's is a different play. And so I didn't really want to like, I, I wasn't really looking at McDonald's like that. But Last question. If you could go back and give yourself as you were starting the company a piece of advice based on what you've since learned, what would it be? The biggest thing I could say, honestly, is I didn't personally have a mentor. And my business partner, Chad, he didn't have a mentor either. We just went into this pretty much completely green, right? And we got lucky a bunch of times and here we are and we're doing well. And that's great. And I love seeing other businesses, you know, that start out and talking to them and which I do People reach out to me. It's just kind of this weird thing. But I think having a mentor, whatever that looks like... I mean, I had one guy that was somewhat a mentor way back in the beginning. But if you go into business just 100% from square one, to me, it was terrifying. Maybe you won't hear that out of a lot of entrepreneurs, but it was terrifying. And I didn't have the confidence in myself back then to say right out of the gates... We need to have a game plan for when we're going to start paying ourselves. So we're not just living in destitution. I mean, the first couple of years were really hard because we didn't build pay in for ourselves. Nobody told us to. We didn't know anybody. 
that had started a business that we leaned on in, in the beginning. Since then, we've met a lot of business people that have become mentors to us, you know, halfway through this, which have been awesome. But I would have loved to have them up in the beginning and sent the business plan to them. And they had said, Hey, why don't you should think about this? You should think about this. When are you going to start paying yourselves? Because you don't want to just wade tables and fight fire the whole time and try to run this thing because that'll destroy you mentally. And yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. The first couple of years, you know, we had this great, fun brand and image in and all that kind of stuff. It was really, really hard um, for me personally because I was just so incredibly broke and you don't know if you're going to make it. And that's part of business, but it would have been nice to have had somebody kind of coach us through that or be like, hey, you need to take care of yourself at some point instead of just being like, oh, well, this is going to pay you back someday. That's kind of what we kept telling ourselves to have had somebody from square one that was like, you you know, if you're going to do this, here's how you do it while also taking care of yourself. And if you're going to do this, it's going to be hard and you need to have confidence in yourself. Where's the best place for listeners to check out what Montucky is up to and what you guys have coming up? Sign up for a newsletter. That's going to always have the most relevant information for up and coming things. But also just Instagram. That's literally the kind of pulse of what's going on with us. Anything that really happens and is worth customers knowing about, we put on there and we usually put it on there a couple of times. So those would be the kind of two main go-tos. And then obviously the website has all that as well. If you really want the scoop, sign up for the newsletter. Well, thank you so much for your time and for the stories and the candid insights to what it's like to start a company that, in hindsight, very successful in Montucky. So I can't wait to see what you guys accomplish. And I have great feelings about where where you guys are headed. Well, thanks so much, Alex. Appreciate you taking the time to chat with us and feature us on your podcast. It's flattering. And that is going to do it for our conversation with Jeremy. Thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review. It really does help. Food Marketing Nerds is a production of Blue Bear Creative. For interview transcripts and other downloadable resources, head to foodmarketingnerds.com.